This morning we are on Acts 21, verses 1 through 16. Acts 21, verses 1 through 16. If you're there, would you all stand as we receive the word? Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Here is the word of God. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were uh, ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside of the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of uh, Nason of Cyprus. And, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Amen. Father, we open our hearts against your word. May you speak to us and reveal your truth to us. Be with your servant, be with your people. We desire your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this past week was a bit up and down bit strange, lots of rain. I mean, there, there was downpour rain. I mean, my backyard was flooded. I mean, it looked like there's no grass. It was just water. Um, and I don't think I had that much rain here in Georgia for like, you know, consecutive days. And then we also, um, 
I don't know, at least I was, following the update of this lost tiny submarine on its way down to Titanic. And that was somewhat of a drama every morning and try to get the update in early week. And finally, the word came. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Um, so it was up and down in terms of following that. As I was thinking about these things, um, the, the direction of life and what God has in mind for us, and I was thinking to myself, if there is one thing, there is one thing that all Christians would like to know, if there is one thing that they would like to know as Christians, it would be the will of God. Wouldn't it be? Yeah, wouldn't it? Like the will of God, God's plan for me, God's desire, his purpose for me. And that is because, because we are Christ followers, because we are God's people, we're indebted, we understand what it took for us to have this life, and we want to please God. We want to live our lives according to His good and perfect will. We desire that. And I believe no Christian will tell you that he or she can care less about God's will and living by God's will. No Christian will say this. So quite naturally, we want to know His will. We want to discern uh, His will concerning our lives, concerning our major decisions. Decisions like uh, the career that we should pursue, the person we should marry, uh, the place we should uh, live, and major purchases, investment that we would have to do. Because we need His guidance. We understand we need his wisdom over many decisions that will occur in our lives. Because we want to do his will. We want to live by his will. Because we want to please the Lord. We want to honor him for who he is and what he has done for us. So then how do we live by his will? How do we really live by His will? For His glory, for His honor, for His name to be magnified. How do we live by His will? How do we understand and discern His will? Folks, the bad news or good news, depends on how you look at it, is that there is no simple method. There is no simple mathematical formula in the Bible where you just simply plug in this method or formula in order for you to figure the will of God in that specific moment. I wish there is. But if there is a such formula, such method, then what would we do? We would just probably simply apply that method, follow that method, or plug in that formula in our lives, and we will not be seeking God. We will not be on our knees after his will. Again, what do we, how do we uh, discern his will? How do we make right decisions? God pleasing, God honoring decisions in our lives. Now, as we grow in our relationship with God, as we grow and mature in our understanding of his word, 
as we learn to walk closely beside him, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, as we understand through our experience, through our own personal history, how God has led us and guided us through the Holy Spirit in various circumstances, we understand how he operates. We understand what he is all about. Therefore, we kind of understand as we go in the given situation, this is the right decision. This is how God wants to uh, uh, be glorified through my decision, through my life. We understand. We, we learn this method. and We understand this formula. We come up with understanding how we can better serve and better honor God. But even with that, even the best of us, since we are all fallen sinners at best, still it is an imperfect, somewhat uncertain process at the best, just relying on our past example, because there will be some new challenges, new circumstances, and our history does not guarantee that we will figure out and discern the best decision. So how do we discern God's will? How do you know what is best? What is God's desire for you, for your family, for your church? How do we figure that out so that we can live by it? Now, this morning in chapter 21, we got very interesting passage. I don't know whether you were reading this, uh, isn't this interesting? I mean, it's such a, a contradicting, confusing um, story that we were uh, encountered with. This is a chapter where Paul would make his final journey to Jerusalem. And shortly after his arrival, he will be arrested. He will be imprisoned. He will be transported to Rome and he will be executed ultimately. But the reason why this passage is so interesting is that Paul was actually faced with a decision. He made up his mind, and on his uh, journey to Jerusalem, he was faced with a decision. He had to make a choice again. And in order for him to make that choice, he had to discern God's will for him. He had to discern what would be ultimately pleasing to God, ultimately glorifying God through his life. Then what was his choice that he needs to make? What was the decision that he needs to make? It was whether or not he should go to Jerusalem. The central question of this passage up to this point, what Luke was trying to get was this, whether Paul was right or wrong to go to Jerusalem. Should he have chosen not to go to Jerusalem and continue to preach the gospel, continue to build these Gentile churches? Or was he right to still go to Jerusalem with absolute certain uh, uh, hardships and difficulties, arrest, imprisonment, and treatment, and ultimate certain death? Was he right? Did Paul make a right decision? Or did Paul make a mistake? Was it a reckless choice to waste his life prematurely? Was he right? Was he wrong? Now let's take a look together. With that in mind, 
In the previous chapter, Paul really had an emotional farewell with elders, the leaders of the Ephesian church. They prayed for Paul. Paul prayed for them. They hugged, kissed. I mean, it was hard. It was hard for them to uh, say goodbye and be separated. Why? Because they knew they would never be uh, able to see one another again. It was very difficult for them to say goodbye. And shortly after their final, you know, goodbye and farewell, they, they separated and they went on. Uh, Paul and his party would continue their journey to Jer Jerusalem. Now, when they uh, went on to a ship, the next day they landed. A few days later, uh, various stops, they finally landed at Tyre. I want you to uh, look at verse 4. 21, verse 4, it says this, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they're telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, the ship arrived in Tyre. And the ship had to stay there to unload the cargo. And Paul and his companions, on their journey to Jerusalem, they have to be lodged there for at least seven days Look for another transportation to the next stop. Now, at this point, obviously, with his farewell message, Paul's mind was already made up to go to Jerusalem. He was firmly uh, sure, certain that this is God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. And they left Ephesus for that reason. Their journey to Jerusalem now took them to here, Tyre. And they were able to find some disciples, and they spent seven days, according to Luke. And Luke says, interestingly, during their stay, during their stay, look, through the Holy Spirit, the disciples, the believers in the city were urging Paul not to go on, not to go. Don't continue this journey to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. They kept telling Paul through the Spirit. That's a key phrase, through the Spirit. Not their own wisdom, not their emotion, not their how they feel about this journey. Through the Spirit, not to go. What's going on? What, what is happening here? I mean, look at it. Was the Spirit, in some ways, was the Spirit speaking through the disciples to send, to bring an urgent message to Paul on his way to Jerusalem. Can it be that? He was already on his way to Jerusalem. He made already very, various stops and then he is at Tyre right now. The legitimate question right now at this point is, was Paul really supposed to go to Jerusalem? Through the Spirit, these followers of Jesus Christ were begging, pleading for Paul to not to go. Now, yet they left. They left. And one more stop, and they arrived at Caesarea. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, while we were staying for many days, they're spending many days in Caesarea, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took 
Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Is it just me or is this interesting? He's on his way to Jerusalem. He let the Ephesian elders know, the church know. They were hugging and crying. And Paul was pushing on. This is the will of God. And they made a stop in Tyre. These followers of Jesus Christ were begging and pleading through the Spirit, do not go on to Jerusalem. And here he is with his party at Philip's house. Philip, by the way, one of, one of the seven uh, deacons. And this Agabus came down from Judea. And by the way, this person, Agabus, a prophet, uh, we saw his name back in chapter 11 where he prophesies about this severe famine that will happen all over the Roman Empire. So what did the Gentiles do in, back in chapter 11? They collected their money and they sent Paul, uh, Barnabas, and the party to Jerusalem to deliver this relief fund. Remember that? Guess what happened? How it happened? Agabus, by the Spirit, predicted, prophesied. And it came true. And that same person, hearing that Paul is in Caesarea, came down from Judea in order to do this purposely. His intention is to do this. Take Paul's belt. By the way, it's not some sort of a leathery belt that I'm wearing. It's more of a longer ones that you wrap around your waist. It's like a girdle. And with that, Agabus did this. He bound his hands and feet and said, whoever owns this belt, I could simply say Paul because he took it from Paul, but he said that and say, this person, when he goes to Jerusalem, Jews will bind this man and deliver him into the hands of the Gentile to the Romans. What is happening? Yes, Silas, what is happening? I mean, look at it, verse 11. This is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind Paul and hand him over to Gentiles. And guess what? This is not privately communicated. Right? Agabus didn't share this to Paul or just to maybe Timothy and Silas or Luke. You know, just that party. He didn't do that. In front of everybody at Philip's house. This is a prophecy, not just through the words. Imagine this. This is visual, prop, you know, prophecy. Visual. This is going to literally happen to Paul. And he shared that to everyone in the house. And what's the reaction? They were shocked. Agabus was not an ordinary person. This is not a random, evil, possessed man. And he is just wanting to deter and tempt Paul from going to Jerusalem. That's not Agabus. This is a prophet, respected one, a godly man. And his track record is pretty thorough, impressive. Now, upon hearing 
and seeing, not to mention this prophecy, what happened? Everyone in the house, everyone pleaded with Paul not to go on this journey, not to go up to Jerusalem. Luke said in verse 12, when we heard this, we, Luke is the author, right? He includes himself. When we heard this, and the people, uh, people urged him, urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. It's not just Agabus. It's not just people who are gathering in Philip's house. It's Luke, his dear friend, close companion, Timothy, Silas, all these people who were the mission partner, ministry partner that were journeying to Jerusalem. We all pleaded to Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They were begging. These people are begging and pleading to Paul to change his mind. What's going on? What is happening? Was the Spirit really trying to stop Paul from going to Jerusalem? Was Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem wrong? Is the Spirit trying to correct his path? Because it is clearly written in the Bible that the disciples in Tyre, as well as the prophet Agabus, they all heard from who? The Holy Spirit. They heard from God. They saw what was going to happen to Paul once he arrived in Jerusalem. They saw it through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And this was not their own opinion about the trip, but this is a genuine revelation from God himself. So in other words, what they have seen in their vision, in their revelation from the Spirit, these visions were all what? Correct. These are absolutely correct revelation of the coming impending danger of arrest, imprisonment for Paul. This was real. This is, it's just a matter of time once you step in the city of Jerusalem. They were right on this. So once again, the question is, then was the apostle wrong? If they were right, and based on that revelation, they were pleading and begging for Paul to not to go. Was Paul wrong in pushing through and continuing his journey to Jerusalem? Now, if you turn to chapter 20, verse 22 and 24, this is, is part of Paul's farewell, final message to the Ephesian church, to the elders of the church. This is what Paul says. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit. Led, grab hold by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Listen to what he says. I don't know what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem. 
but the Spirit constrained me, leading me, and, and just grabbed hold of my life to take me to Jerusalem. Holy Spirit already testified to me that in every city, including Jerusalem, imprisonment, affliction, awaits him. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, notice how Paul, the disciples, and Agabus, they all received the same word, same vision. Arrest, imprisonment, and potential death. They all received it. Disciples, Agabus, and Paul constrained. And through the Holy Spirit, they all have seen it. But we must also see, they all received the revelation. They all got the message from God. What is waiting for Paul? But we also must see the difference in the interpretation, the approach of the revelation they all receive. And everywhere he goes, the thing is, he understands the revelation. He's keep hearing these disciples on his journey. He's hearing what is happening, what is going to happen, and he sees the manner of the people who truly testifies to him through the Spirit what is going to be there. But what he says already, before all of these happen, what he already said is this. Suffering is not just going to be there, but it is also be here. In any city I go, Holy Spirit already let me know that affliction is part of my duty, part of my life. Everywhere I go, this will and can happen. In other words, what he is saying, no matter what happens to me at the final destination, I will complete my mission, no matter the cost. Now, when Paul saw that same affliction, same end uh, uh, the result of his arrival to Jerusalem, he's going to go anyway. But for disciples and Agabus, what were they doing? Because there is suffering in Jerusalem, what were they doing? Well, Paul, you should not go. That's their conclusion. For Paul, I'm going anyway. But for these people, through the Spirit, they receive the revelation. But they're ultimate understanding of that revelation is, Paul, you should not go. You should think twice. Is this confusing? Is, is the Holy Spirit trying to confuse people here? Is he contradicting himself? Is the word contradicting himself? Is Paul wrong? Were they not right? You see, I understand this as God being gracious. God being gracious to warn Paul, prepare Paul for very certain 
uh, danger that will happen in Jerusalem. And he is preparing Paul through these people, through the Holy Spirit. That warning is in no way that that, uh, uh, the same as the Holy Spirit telling Paul to not to go. It's warning. If you remember chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, the chapter that Saul became Paul. And Ananias, we went to baptize him and relieve him. Remember Ananias remarked to the Lord, do you, do you know who he is? Do you know what he has been do- doing to your church? And Jesus said to Ananias, he is my chosen instrument. Chapter 9, verse 16 says this. Jesus said, he would have to endure all of these for my name. I will show him how much Paul must suffer for the sake of my name. This is not communicated only to Ananias. Paul knew it. Paul heard it. This is going to be his life from day one. Paul understood he will have to suffer greatly for the sake of his name. So what is going on? How do we understand this passage? Everyone was begging, urging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Yet this apostle is very adamant in going to Jerusalem. How do we understand it? You see, what we need to understand here is that they were all hearing from God. That's absolutely true. The Spirit was speaking through all of them. However, the approach to God's revelation, the interpretation of God's revelation through the Spirit on the disciples and, uh, and the prophet even, Agabus, is the issue. Because of visions, Paul's arrest and imprisonment, what they just naturally, automatically thought to themselves was Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem was what? Wrong. Because there is hardship, because there is difficulty, there is imprisonment and potential arrest and everything else, bad for Paul. So this decision by the apostle to continue on his journey to go to Jerusalem must be wrong. So therefore, they were begging and trying to persuade Paul to change his mind. What we need to understand and learn from this passage is quite simple. We cannot assume that because suffering is involved in a given decision, in given specific uh, situation, we cannot assume that is not God's will. Do we get that? Because you understand there is potential possibility of you being being discomforted, inconvenient, and potentially lose your time and effort and money, your health, and there is just possibility of bad things, in our opinion, to uh, be present. We cannot assume by knowing that That is not God's will. We cannot simply dismiss the possibility of God leading and guiding you because of simply the presence of pain and discomfort in that decision. 
this must not be God's will for me to proceed. You see, God is way less concerned with our comfort than we are. But you know what God is concerned with? He is concerned with our maturity. He is concerned with our growth. He is concerned ultimately for his glory, for his name to be famous, glorified. Don't say that phrase, be glorified, be magnified through my life and through all that I do and say, live it, believe it. God's will for us is whatever that maximizes his glory. That's his will. God's will for us is whatever that magnifies his name. That's what I believe. God's will for us is whatever causes us to trust and obey him. And him being the king and reigning on us, that is God's will. Folks, only because God is love, we can conclude and assume that our suffering and his will does not mix because he is love. Many Christians believe that because he is love and he is for me, not against me. Therefore, this suffering and his will can go hand in hand together. Where does it say? You see, when Jesus told his disciples what is to happen once he arrived, once they arrive in Jerusalem, that I will be arrested, falsely accused, imprisoned, crucified, died, but I'll be resurrected. But this is going to happen. He shared that to the disciples. Guess what? The reaction was the same. No, Lord, you can go to Jerusalem. You will die. I won't let you. We love you. You have been doing this. This is not the way to end. This story does not end this way. This is such a tragic end, and it cannot be God's will. If the disciples said that to God himself, and that's how they understood the direct revelation of Lord himself, of his life, people around Paul, including these believers and Agabus, could have made that same mistake. Because they genuinely care and love Paul. Therefore, they could not, knowing what is waiting for him, could not just wish him well. Go on ahead. This is the will of God. But with knowing what is waiting for Paul, they decided, this is not God's will. You cannot go. What you are doing is suicide. What you are doing is reckless. You cannot do this. I won't let you. We can't let you do this. Nobody's on Paul's side, by the way. Luke, Timothy, Silas, everyone. And with tear, genuinely they're begging. Now, what's the response? Just like the Lord rebuked the disciple, Peter and them, Look at verse 13. This is Paul's response. In a nutshell, he rejected the plea because this is what it says. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? He says, what, what are you doing? Weeping. And he says, breaking my heart. 
Now, as a human being, is it easy for him to go to Jerusalem knowing what's waiting for him? Think about it. It's breaking his heart, seeing their tears. They're pleading and urging, Paul, do not go. We won't see you again. You will die. You're breaking my heart. But look at this man's resolution here. What are you doing? He says, for because I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you see Paul's clear, committed passion and desire to do God's will no matter the cost. Even if it will end, certainly it will end in imprisonment and death. What are you doing? I am going. I'm ready for this. I am his apostle. And he tells me to go. I am called. And not only called, I am saved by the Lord, and he tells me to go, and it has been my privilege and joy to serve him. And my life is in his hand, and outside of his will, outside of his purpose for my life, I do not exist. I don't want to exist. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am ready to face this. I am ready to face whatever may come, even if it means imprisonment and death. I am ready to do anything and everything for the sake of the name of Jesus. This is clearly committed, communicated here. This is Paul's clear, committed understanding of God's will, even if it is less than, completely less than ideal. Now, when they realized, the, in, the people who were in Philip's house, when they realized how resolved Paul was to go to Jerusalem, that this is God's will, look what they said in verse 14. They were crying, remember. They were begging, pleading, everyone. And they said, let the will of the Lord be done. That God's will be done in you, Paul. And they submitted, surrendered to the will of God. And their focus was to see his will be done in everyone's life. So they got ready. They packed. They went on. And some of them from Caesarea went with Paul as well. How do we understand God's will? How do you live by God's will? We say that all the time. We, we desire that. We make no bones about it. We want to know his will in order for me to live by his will. We say that all the time. But how do we do it? How do you discern his will and therefore you live by it? The number one thing about living by the will don't just try to know the will. You got to have that committed desire and passion to do his will first. Because when you ask for his will to be revealed, you might not like the answer. You might not like the answer at all. Are you committed? And you are absolutely resolved 
that you, once you find out his will, you will still proceed, go on ahead. No one will change your mind. No one will sway you. That no matter the cost, you will see it through for God's will to be done in your life. No matter the cost, you are committed to God's will, whether it's good or bad, whether you like it or not. Before you ask for his will to be revealed to you, you have to pray that, am I ready? Lord, give me that resolution. Give me that faith. Give me that unwavering faith in your will that ultimately I am your servant. You are the king. You will reign on me and I will serve you. You got to have that first. If you want to live by his will, you got to have that passion and desire. And for you to live by his will, before you have, once you have that passion and desire, you not only search for his will and ready to do his will, but you have to do the will that he already revealed to you in the Bible. You want his will? You want to know God's will for you? But what about the will that he already disclosed to you? What about the things that he already desired to see in your life? Are we committed? Are we passionate about achieving, living by this will that he already communicated? You're not seeking. You don't have to seek that. It is already given to you. It's clearly written in your Bible. Trust and obey God. Trust and obey his word. Seek his kingdom first. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love one another as you love yourself. Written clearly here. That's his will for you. Do not conform nor love this world, but be transformed. Is that his will for you? Yes, absolutely. Remain in me, remain in my love. Therefore, you remain my father's love by obeying my command. Is that his will? Absolutely. Take my cross and follow me. Is that his will? Yes. We're about, we want to know his will for us. God, tell me what you have in store for me. Be careful what you wish for, what you ask. Before you even ask, you got to see, am I passionate, committed, and desire, have this desire to see, Lord, may your will be done. Is that my attitude in my life? If you're not sure about that resolution in your heart, you could tell. What are we doing with this will that you already received? Because that will tell you a lot about your resolution and your commitment to the will of God if he reveals that to you. If that makes sense? Makes sense? Are you with me? Because the sovereignty of God, the will of God is a great issue. People struggle. We all struggle. Because you have tons of decisions to make every day. And there are decisions that are so, so important in your life. And you understand that. And you want to honor God. You want to magnify his name. You want to 
be the glory. You want to be the kingdom everywhere you go. Great representation of God. Therefore, you seek his will. But before I tell you to seek his will, because people get swayed by emotion, people get swayed by what's coming and how uncomfortable, inconvenient, and, and all of these things are just less than ideal, then what do you do? That must not be God's will. I won't do it. I can't go. You should not go. Be careful. When you share your opinion, you have to be praying. Do not blurt your opinion without praying, without thinking. Because you could see even the disciples, even the prophet would make that same mistake. Why? Because they were swayed. Now, we're human beings. We love the individual. And we, I can understand. I can sympathize, empathize with these people. Yet, at the same time, when you apply this into your own walk, your own life, you have to understand how resolved and how committed you and I are. What would you do? How far would you go if God tells you this is my will for you? I want this to be done in your life. How far, how much will you risk? What would you give up? What would you risk when he reveals that will to you? Because how passionate are we to the will of God that he already revealed to you? That will tell you a lot about my resolution to live by the will. How terrible, how uh, uh, not in line with my own plan. When God says go, would, would you go? When God says stop, turn around, would you turn around? How passionate are we for his will? Or is it just meaningless, empty phrase that we say, God, your will be done. When we say, God, your will be done, yet ultimately we're just seeking our will. Following our will, our desire, we're seeking for our well-being and our comfort. That phrase doesn't mix. You will know how serious you are to do his will when you, how you deal with the given revelation do you already have. When Pastor Charles was here, and those few of us were in that coffee shop, and after you know, the Sovereignty of God seminar, uh, Pastor Charles Given. And then you probably remember, some of you remember, the question was, Pastor Charles, how do we know this? How do we know his will for us? Young people, how do we know what kind of career that we should pursue? When and how we meet the person and know this is the right person and we plunge, we commit. How do we know how do we know when to buy the house? What, you know, all of these things. How do we know? Does God reveal to us? Why wouldn't he reveal that to us? And, and Pastor Charles, if you guys remember, guys, before we ask, same thing. Before we ask, what have you been doing with the revelation that he has already given to you? His desire for his people. 
His desire, his design, his plan for the people that he did not hold back his son to reclaim. Right? What have you done? What have I been doing with that? That will tell you a lot about your commitment to his word. Because that's the first order of business. Look at Paul. This is legitimate. He knew it before the disciples opened their mouth. Agabus opened his mouth. The visual demonstration of what's going to happen. Yet, you know what? You're breaking my heart. I understand where you're coming from. But I am ready. This is me. This is where I need to go. We pray in the Lord's Prayer. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as in heaven in my life. May your will be done. Guys, may the Lord's will be done in your life. Amen? And it begins in little things that you do. It begins with very much well-known revelation, His desires in your life. Amen? Let's work on that because that helps you. That cultivates your commitment in when the difficult revelation comes that you are not going to be tempted to turn and walk the other way. Think about Paul, guys. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Guys, since you insist, through the Spirit you have received. I mean, now Agabus is here. Think about it. Would anyone fault Paul? Would anyone fault Paul if he decided to turn and say, you know what, I'm staying here. Anyone would never fault Paul, at least people in that house. But God will. But then God will. It's fascinating passage. And we like to understand God's sovereign will for us. Guys, let's start with small things. Things that we can control and do. The things that we already know. That what God clearly desires in each and every one of people in Jesus Christ. Amen? And then, let's tackle some big things. Let's tackle some big, huge decisions. Because you need to do this for you to tackle that. And Paul clearly is on other lead. And he was able to accomplish and fulfill God's will in his life. Even if it means discomfort, pain, suffering. And ultimately, death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the passage you have given to us, the word that you have spoken to us. God, when we say we want your will to be done, your plan to be flawlessly executed, and when we pray and say that I don't want to get in your way, God, you do what you do. May your will be done in my life. 
Yet in reality, Lord, we interfere. In reality, we fight. We fight you. We ignore your call. We ignore your plan, your clearly communicated will. We get easily tempted and swayed, get afraid because it's not what we want and desire. So therefore, we quickly talk ourselves out of doing your will. But when we are frustrated and desperate, we come to you seeking your will. But we're not ready to do His will. We're not equipped to do His will because we haven't committed ourselves to do the will. Oh God, as we understand Your Word to us in small things, in the things that we clearly know what You desire in us, would You give us that resolution, that commitment, that desire and passion to see your will to be done in my life, in my family's life, in our church's life. Oh God, I pray that you will give us that strength. May the Spirit not only reveal to us what needs to be done, but give us that strength and that endurance, that patience, in order for us to see it through. For God to be truly, His name to be glorified. Paul did that. And the people were pleading and urging, surrender and follow Paul. Oh God, I pray that as a church, as a family, as an individual, who are in Christ, understand your will. Live your will as faithfully as we can, as obediently, humbly as we can. We thank you, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bless us. You bless your people. Lead them and guide them as you always have been. Speak to us. And may we honor you by living by your will. Father, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.